Welcome to The Subtle Effect, where we have conversations at the intersection of creativity and activism. This apocalyptic vision, the sense of no future, is a marker of our time. It's that sort of evolutionary pressure that could lead to something very real emerging. On this episode of The Subtle Effect, Picket signs and morphogenetic fields, how consciousness-based practices can change the planet. You know, if we just do the subtle work without engaging pragmatically, then it can be a little just ethereal. If we just do the pragmatic work, then it tends to not have the kind of moral force. But when those two are operating together, really is an unstoppable force, I think. An interview with subtle activist David Nichol. I'm your host, Catherine Ede. Thanks so much for joining us. As I touch gently upon this world, what do you need? The wind wants songs, wants poems to carry. It is structured to carry waves, and we are structured to take them into our skull's openings, carry them in to a place beyond science. A place whose architecture resonates as a temple that's been refined over four billion years. The pews are full with our listening souls who want a message more powerful than any man's sermon, want to be taken back for just a moment to the place where we can rest easy. The wind was born to carry sound for you, formed around the sounds of your mother's voice for you. The wind was in its function when it was touched by your first I love you and stored it in its feather pouch, carried it to the ears that love was meant for. The ears are the only thing that could ever hear, and you have too. The mountains were built for you. Eyes are the only thing that could ever see them, and you have too. The wind was made for you. Sound is the only thing that could ever kiss it, and you have to dare to say you got everything you needed. Dare to ask for what you want, and then open your ears from all the way inside of your skull and hear the tingling electric hum in silence. It's fullness. Dare to make your body strong, your core arms, face, and lungs. Lock your eyes in focus like you are pushing your vision out of them. Pray with all of your senses. And do nothing for the like of it from someone else. 
for someone else's mind can be made up a thousand times against you, but their body was made to hear, was made to taste, was made to touch, to feel your love and move and shape the air around them as they make love back. The whole world waits to be moved by you. Welcome to The Subtle Effect. Wherever you are listening today, please like, subscribe, or follow us. I am humbled and grateful to have an extraordinary guest on The Subtle Effect. I would like to introduce David Nickel. David is the author of Subtle Activism, a reference book for an emerging global movement that is using collective meditation and prayer to support the shift to a global culture of wisdom and peace. He is the founder of the Gaia Field Project, which helps inform and connect subtle activists all over the globe for synchronized meditations. And he also runs the Institute for Subtle Activism, which offers classes and supports research in the field of subtle activism. You might also be familiar with him from Be the Peace, which he co-founded. He teaches on subtle activism in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies and also for the SHIFT Network. David is incredibly well articulated on the subjects of the intersection of social engagement and spirituality. He has approached the incredibly complex subjects of the psycho psychological and spiritual dimensions of socio-political transformation with such grace. Uh, in his book, he gives voice to the suffering and injustice that's happening on our planet, to the helplessness that it's really easy to feel in the face of it and then offers that we might have the potential to affect real change by building on our actions as activists to include a profoundly creative approach, a deeply interconnected approach, the approach of subtle activism. But one of the great gifts from my perspective is that David is enacting this work worldwide as a subtle activist. And I'd like to welcome you to the show, David. Thank you so much for being here. Mm, my pleasure, Catherine. It's a delight to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd love to start off by asking, what is subtle activism? I define subtle activism as the use of spiritual consciousness-based practices like meditation, prayer, ritual, for the purposes of collective transformation. So <clears throat> it's a fairly simple definition, but the notion is that we're focusing on the potential of our practices themselves as a legitimate form of action. It might be subtle action, but potentially a crucial element of a more holistic approach to social change. And we're trying to bring out the full potential of that dimension um, to make a real contribution to shifting consciousness. Um, and um, <clears throat> the usual, in our culture, we've tended to 
use those practices to support individual growth and transformation. And so um, the simple concept here is that we can apply those practices uh, for the purposes of social change, collective change, and that it has you know, a legitimate and potentially crucial role to play, especially at this moment in history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you tell me what exactly you mean by subtle? Mm-hmm. Um, it is a couple of meanings, really. Um, <clears throat> subtle as opposed to more obvious or more overt. So when people think of activism, I think we normally go to images of people marching in the street or people chaining themselves to bulldozers or trees and that sort of thing on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously there are many different ways to bring about uh, social change uh, to influence the collective. So you can think of that in terms of a spectrum from the more obvious, more overt um, actions down a scale of increasing subtlety. So, for example, many artists, I think, who do socially conscious work, visionary art or socially conscious films that shift attitudes in the collective about something, you know, an important issue, um, or intellectuals who will uh, shift paradigm about something that, um, uh, you know, these sorts of actions, they're not directly affecting political decision makers but they're changing the conversation, they're changing the whole um, paradigm in which decisions get made. So you could think of all of those actions as more subtle forms of activism. And what I'm interested in is at the most subtle end of that spectrum, our consciousness work itself, which doesn't look like it's engaging in much outer action, but what I contend is that it is actually the most causal level of uh, mm. bringing a change uh, and so <clears throat> so there's that there's that level that the, the, well that dimension the subtle compared with the overt uh, but there is another meaning too which is that uh, we are talking about acting on subtle levels of reality or subtle what people call subtle planes of consciousness uh, and the idea is that the world is not just this, you know, physical sort of uh, what they call the flatland, you know, of, of just one uh, dimension. What you see is what you get, but that that there are these deeper levels of reality, um, subtler levels of reality, and that we can um, engage at that level to seed change, to seed ideas, to seed. Uh, energies that come through to the more um, gross levels, if you like, uh, and so for, you know, from a from a deep level, there, bringing um, inspiring energies into the more gross levels that you know can can inspire actions and ideas at that level. Mm-hmm. So as we get into what you're referring to as these more subtle levels of reality. This is um, what you're referring to um, in your book as this place where we're all kind of increasingly more and more connected. You know, I think from a <clears throat> straightforward orthodox scientific materialist perspective, um, the worldview obviously is that we're basically composed of separate 
physical objects and that's what it can seem to be like to our senses uh, so um, but as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware most of the world's wisdom traditions um, but also increasingly science itself is saying underneath that appearance of separation that we are deeply interconnected and you know science obviously through quantum physics and the discovery of non-locality uh, and other principles um, similar principles has itself come to the view you know at the, at the deepest level um, interconnection is reality you know it's it's established now in in science that uh, this is not just uh, some ideal but it is actually um, you know the case that at the deepest level we are all very profoundly interconnected um, and that accords with the experience of mystics across all traditions that when we settle down our consciousness so that we start to perceive things at a deeper level that <clears throat> we come to that realization directly um, and so coming from you know and they're not just mystics but also um, many many you know, visionary thinkers in Western um, disciplines like Carl Jung and the notion of the collective unconscious where a layer of the psyche that through which we're all connected um, or Rupert Sheldrake the biologist his, his notion of morphic fields um, mm -hmm. you know, many disciplines have, have put forward this similar notion that there, there are these deeper layers through which we're all connected and because of that we influence each other we're, we're influenced by these deeper layers but we can also ourselves intentionally influence it <clears throat> so that's how we can have an effect that ripples out into the collective even if on the surface it seems like you know we're, we're separate beings yes okay so help me understand you're talking about we're affected by this field we also can yep. affect this field yeah. how are they interrelating with each other yeah well uh, you know i think everyone um uh who's practiced meditation um i think can probably relate to the experience of if you go into a big group meditation let's say you go into a field where there's a hundred people in a room mm -hmm. um and everyone's silent it's easier to drop into silence yourself. It's easier to have a deeper experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's an example of this field phenomena, I think, um, where um, you get supported by the presence of others. It's easier for you, if you're just on your own and it's you and your mind, um, some, there's something about being in a, in a group field where you get another reference point, mm -hmm. where you get to feel the silence of others. Uh, you know, I think that's often the principle of transmission from a teacher mm -hmm. uh, can be the same thing. You sit in front of the, the teacher, the guru, whatever, who's in a profound state of stillness and silence. Uh, and you can just, you, you can sort of jump to you or you have this reference point that's something beyond your own busy mind. Um, <clears throat> so, that's just an example of a way that uh, uh, we can be influenced by that coherent field, that conscious field. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think in general, we're being impacted by the collective field all the time. It's like we're swimming in it. Uh, and that could be 
positive or negative. So, you know, if we are, like if you're in a big city and it's extremely stressful and there's a lot of traffic and busyness um, and you're also exposing yourself all the time to media that's bringing through these alarming messages and so on. Um, You know, I I mean, I think there are ways that that obviously impacts us. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so, um, you know, what we're proposing here is a way of making this process conscious. Uh, And what my conviction is, is that especially when we are gathered in groups of coherent, conscious, intentional uh, people, and we create a, a coherent field together, that, that especially is when we're able to have a stronger influence on the whole. Okay, so in this, um, this impact that we could potentially have, is it like, I'm in a crazy busy city, there's this intense these media messages, this intense busyness. And then at any given point, there's so much chaos. And at least, you know, I want to contribute to the collective field with as much peace and um, and grace as I can bring. Um, but does my peace and my grace just sort of balance or like bring a little bit of grace where otherwise there would only be this field of chaos or does my state actually impact the states of others yeah um well you know i think there, there is actually research on this this is where the, the science can come in a bit the 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 tm folks transcendental meditation scientists uh have looked at this sort of thing so you know, maybe it is good to bring in a little bit of the science here because uh, a lot of their research from the early days was about uh, cities where more than 1% of the population were practicing TM. And what they saw was that uh, in those cities, there was a decrease in crime rates. Um, And they measured this, you know, quite a number of times they put in place many controls. They compared them with other similar cities, which where people were not practicing TM, and they found this consistent effect. Um, and you know, one of their more interesting studies, actually, uh, fairly recently, they actually measured these physiological indicators of people who were not actually meditating. They were just in the city where a large group of people were doing TM. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that when the uh, numbers in that TM group were high, the the stress levels in those people went down. They measured their cortisol uh, levels, which is an indicator of stress. Mm -hmm. And so um, they found that um, this sort of physiological effect, even on the people who were not you know, doing the meditation, um, and that fits with their whole evidence that they've gathered over decades of, um, you know, that that when there are large groups of people meditating in these cities, that you see uh, evidence of um, like crime rates going down and other 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 factors that you w- would expect to see if the whole general population was being impacted. So it sounds like. You're pointing to some of the indications, the indicators uh, being health or crime rate in the collective field as a result of this um, 
many, many people collectively coming together into the subtle realm. Yeah. Um, and something else that you speak a lot about is this um, Gaia consciousness or this sort of global consciousness. And I'm curious if you would say that more people entering into a global consciousness might actually be an indicator of uh, of this kind of, uh, might be an effect, yeah. might be an effect. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do think that. Um, I think that um, <clears throat> one of the things that you might expect to happen through this practice of subtle activism is that we are, um, as more and more people engage in this, you know, devoting their consciousness-based work, their meditations, their prayers, their rituals, uh, intentionally to shift consciousness in the whole, what you would might expect to see is that more and more people would start to be, would start to feel that interconnection, um, would start to feel that sense of, uh, yes, we are part of one planet, um, because we're seeding that consciousness. That's the whole idea, is seeding that kind of unity consciousness. And the notion is that more and more people become receptive to that, or it starts to wake up in more and more people. So, um, yes, that's, a, that's exactly what we would expect to see. Um, and what I will say, too, is um, I often think with this work, we're just at the beginning in a way, I feel like what we're doing is um, uh, discovering as a species a certain uh, capacity we have for transformation, for collective transformation, for healing. Yeah. Um, it's relatively new that we've had the um, technological capacities that enable us to, um, you know, connect easily with people in various parts of the world to do, say, a synchronized meditation event or mm -hmm. a synchronized global mm -hmm. ritual, let's say. Um, um, that might have happened in the past, perhaps in indigenous cultures, in a, but in a less, you know, they weren't conscious of each other doing this at the same time, even though it might have been happening naturally, I think. Um, but we are, you know, so I really feel like we're in the process of discovering a very significant capacity that hasn't come online before fully. Mm -hmm. um, and so much of what I feel passionate about is not even uh, the, the immediate effect now of the relatively small number of people who are engaging in this way. It's the potential I sense as, you know, this, these capacities become uh, more and more conscious in humanity that this is a way that we can actually bring wisdom into the collective. Um, and I think as more and more people do it, um, and, and, and not just the numbers, but more quality in terms of understanding, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of like, not just the numbers, but where you do it, you know, doing it in the right places and, and the right times with the right intentions and this sort of thing that can amplify the effect. So it's, it's, it's the potential that I'm especially, you know, passionate and excited about. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what you mean when you talk about this practice? What specifically does that entail? Mm -hmm. uh, well, there's a, a couple of uh, ways to respond to that. On, on one level, um, part of my intention of uh, introducing this concept of subtle activism 
was specifically to create a very uh, broad umbrella term that could encourage many, many different kinds of practices that are intended to support change in the collective. So um, it's, it's um, it, you know, there are so many modalities of transformation and healing that are available today. Um, there's all the world's traditions uh, that, uh, you know, we have access to now. There's many different creative um, syntheses of these traditions and new practices and modalities arising all the time. Um, and with the, the, the frame of subtle activism, it's an invitation to consider how could we apply any of those practices uh, to the realm of collective transformation, since most of them tend to be applied uh, you know, towards individual healing. Um, but any of them can be applied you know, to the collective. It just takes a little shift in, in our imagination. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, like I say, it's a very broad um, invitation and, a, and an umbrella term. Um, personally, I have gone in a direction where, um, you know, I've been practicing this with, um, I have a council of, of leaders in the field. We've been doing sort of experiments in subtle activism for you know, many years now. And in uh, my work, a particular approach has emerged, which I call Gaia Field Synergy. And it is a way of working with groups to create a very profound level of coherence in the group field where um, then the group itself becomes a kind of portal, um, a very, very coherent portal that, um, you know, I feel is a very strong amplifier uh, of our intentions, of our um, presence it's it becomes a portal that allows like source energies to flow through the group into the collective um and you know that's the way i that has emerged for me as as my way of working but uh, as i say subtle activism itself is a is a very um i mean a big brush term so it invites a lot of creativity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it seems like um quite unconventional from the perspective of the the average uh, American <laughs> to be engaging yeah. in in such a thing and I'm curious about um, you know where this if this creates any divide like you're, you're talking about bringing more and more people into this practice increasing the potency how do you bring in are there there's all these various levels that someone could engage in this with and yeah. how do you bring in more of this collective more of this human global family when we mm-hmm. live in such rational skeptical mm-hmm. times yeah yeah it's a really good question and I, again i think there's a, a couple of sort of levels to answer that from um um i'm not on a mission i don't feel to persuade everyone to engage in subtle activism or, or even to you know um uh I, I don't feel called to to you know try to bend anyone's arm or to convince scientific rationalists that this is you know the practice for them sort of thing. Like I actually feel like more of my calling it's to bring more uh, coherence and more organisation to those who are 
who already intuit that this is a, a way that they can contribute to collective transformation, who are, you know, usually it is, be, you know, it is people who are um, long-time practitioners or who have uh, are oriented that way, who feel called to a spiritual path or that sort of thing. They're the, they're the primary market, or if you like, the primary sort of audience for this sort of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have heard theories of change where they say, um, they talk about um, there are different segments of the population. So there are some who are like the early adopters. Mm-hmm. There are sort of like the visionaries who first get the idea. Mm-hmm. Then there are those who are the early adopters who are willing to kind of try a new idea. Um, and then there's another sort of proportion of the population who will follow the early adopters if the early adopters go in, mm-hmm. and then and then everyone goes in. So um, it's a bit like that. It's like I feel um, mostly called to be, um, you, you know, it has most impact, it seems, when there are people who are like, um, often people hear the term subtle activism, and they say, ah, that's what it is that I do, or that's what it is that I'm called to do. You know, I, I, I felt it, but I just didn't have a name for it before. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the people, actually, that I'm most turned on to, you know, to, to connecting with, um, because I feel like what, when we have those folks who are really deeply engaged, then it sort of ripples out, and then you will see more and more people getting more receptive to this idea. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this. Um, Today, the what I sense when I go and talk about this, um, it feels far less far out of an idea than it did ten years ago mm-hmm. or even five years ago. And there's something about um, again, um, this is what you might expect with the hypothesis of subtle activism that that you're seeding just in the consciousness itself uh, more and more receptivity to the notion of, uh, you know, uh, our interconnectedness and the power of that. Um, But also I think just generally, you know, if you see what's going on in the world, there's so much um, concern, there's so much anxiety about things seem to be breaking down on so many levels, it's so crazy that there's more readiness, there's more openness to trying something new that seems like it's got, you know, intelligence and thoughtfulness behind it. So. you know, I'm seeing more and more of an openness to this sort of concept, even if, you know, yes, it's still um, not what your average person probably thinks about when they're reading the news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when I kind of look at the the myths of my time, um, I'm a millennial, so I, I grew up... Um, very immersed in a technological world. Um, I kind of think of my time as like post uh, having, you know, watched this stuff emerge, but actually kind of being born from inside of the machine. And when I look at the myths that are around me, one that really feels quite intense is this kind of apocalyptic like this, the, we're on a sinking ship. This, I mean, just that there's this emergence of this possibility that our species could no longer exist, that climate change is um, on everyone's tongue. Um, you've brought up um, how this kind of uh, pressure might evoke 
um, maybe potentially like a new level of engagement collectively or with more of us. Can you can you talk more about yeah. that? Yeah, uh, it's the notion that um, psychologically, whether you're an individual or whether you're a species, that when you're approaching the possibility of death, that that does certain things to you psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it can be precisely at that time that people have that coming to Jesus sort of moment where they reprioritize their whole life, where mm-hmm. things that you know, suddenly see what's really essential here, what's really important here. Um, and, you know, I think it's quite convincing that as a species that we're facing a kind of collective death, hopefully rebirth moment and initiation. Um, and that, that notion that you're pointing to that is so deep now in the collective, this apocalyptic vision, the sense of no future. Um, you know, I don't, I think that is a marker of our times that has not been there so strongly, you know, in previous generations. Uh, and there's, it's not just psychological either, you know, there's, there's evidence that there's, you know, it's, it's not irrational exactly, that there are things that we can point to in terms of, you know, nuclear capacities or the ecological crisis or whatever, that it, it's not out of the question. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, this makes this a very unique moment, I think. Um, and, but on the flip side, um, it's that sort of evolutionary pressure that could lead to something very real emerging. It's mm-hmm. like, there's nothing like death to make you real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to cut through some of the insanity, some of the neurotic sort of, uh, you know, um, disconnected from, from what's most essential um, that, you know, has been running through the collective. Uh, so it could, it's, it's a strong evolutionary pressure to get real. And what that also means is, um, you know, to awaken together to reality, which on a deeper level is awakening to um, the fact that this is a precious planet, the fact that we are um, more fundamentally interconnected um, and that we have this possibility of of creating something beautiful here. Um, So, you know, it's the uniqueness of of that moment with all of its pressures that on the flip side support this sort of deeper spiritual awakening, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find, what I'm, what what makes this practice so meaningful for me is that it's a way of engaging in this moment where um, we together contact our depths and contact a source of deeper insight and guidance and wisdom. Um, and um, it's like from that place, um, very often a real feeling of hope emerges for people. Mm-hmm. I think of all the um, feedback that I've received from people who engage in this, in this work, that word is probably the most common where people say, I feel hope now. Um, 
and I think especially when you have an experience of being in in a in a very profound state of you know silent unity and and say a, a common prayerful space say with many people in different parts different parts of the world different cultures different religions different languages um the beauty of that experience of feeling yeah, because that's what I feel like is the is the birth on the other side of this. It's like it's this possibility of truly a global uh, culture of of peace, you know, love, um, of 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 a, of a true wisdom culture. Uh, and when people get a taste of that through these sorts of collective meditation events, um, it activates something. It, it it's a it's a movement toward um the next world the coming world that um is like an antidote to the despair of the collapse of this world mm. you know it and it's so vital i think to have that um possibility awakened in people um so we can move you know towards something rather than just being in reaction about you know what what we're moving away from Mm. I I feel like you're giving voice to something very um, small, like it's hard to even um, touch all the way because it's so deep inside. Um, that this idea that the shadow brings brings the ability for us to tap into that kind of hope, that without this sort of despair, without this kind of, um, deep grief but somehow through that process of grieving comes online the response to it or the antidote this medicine that would not have been a had a need to surface we wouldn't have a need to tap deep into this place or understand the potential of our human consciousness had we not been given such a massive uh, challenge mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's the gift of this is sort of the silver lining of you know a very dangerous moment like we're in like it could be in other times um when everything seems more um things are going so easily that it does seem to be the case that whole cultures move into more sort of superficial modes like you know um people talk about that say from the 60s moving into the 70s and 80s like it seemed to get less real in a certain way more consumeristic and and all that sort of thing so um i think in our times you're seeing you know the the responses of people everywhere uh you know especially maybe the artists you know who tend to uh, feel these things so so deeply um people are getting real uh it confronts us with um it calls on us to dig deeper and to um awaken to you know to something very very real uh so um you know i it's like it's like it's not about being in denial of the pain and the danger of our moment it's not about sort of um saying that um this future possible you know world of a of a true global more unified culture 
is a certainty even. You know, we don't really know. And we have to live through the challenges of this moment. Uh, but this is a practice, like this is a, a way of engaging that um, enables us to meet the moment with wisdom and with our collective wisdom. Uh, and I think there's so many healing things that can come from that. It's like, uh, it's also just witnessing our reali the reality of our world, but from a place of collective presence and compassion um, and not just being in this permanent cycle of reaction which can happen when we're when we're just following the news and just thinking about stuff like this is this is a, a way of um, you know accessing a, a, a deeper part of ourselves in community and then responding from our creative source um, and you know I, I just find it that is a very very um, meaningful and helpful approach for people who are you know otherwise feeling like very helpless and, and not sure if you know what to do in our sort of crazy world today yes and I'm curious if there's a, if you've experienced what it's like from that place to then engage in tangible action as well. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, and, you know, I do want to emphasize in this whole conversation with this whole uh, topic that, um, you know, I never put forward subtle activism as a substitute for more tangible action. It's, it's always uh, as a support for, um, y you know, the practical action. Obviously, we have to engage in many practical actions to manifest change in the world uh it's more pointing though to a dimension that is just usually overlooked and that i feel is um you know brings in a very crucial uh element um what i found is the combination though is extraordinarily powerful um and you know i think there's so many examples like standing rock i think is a really good recent example where uh, my understanding is that the elders there at the camp uh, were uh, strongly emphasizing prayer and ceremony at the forefront of their action. You know, uh, they were building a very, very profound sort of spiritual uh, energy at that camp. Um, and there were also, you know, other groups, that, there were big global meditations that took place in support of their actions. Uh, and then, of course, they, they engaged, they put their bodies on the line as well. But it arose out of that um, consciousness, and they were very disciplined with that. Um, so this has been, in a sense, the playbook uh, in recent history for successful social movements. Um, and obviously, we can speak to Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi as you know, similar um, strategy of creating a big field of spiritual moral power uh through practice through through um you know prayer meditation through spiritual principles um and then engaging but in a disciplined way in a way that expresses that consciousness of unity um and you know that is a very 
um, powerful force in the world when those two things come together. You know, if we just do the subtle work without engaging pragmatically, then it can, you know, I think be a little just ethereal. Um, if we just do the pragmatic work without opening up those, those deeper channels, then, you know, very often tends to um, not have the kind of moral force. Uh, and it also tends to descend into kind of um, anger, blame, and, and so, but when those two are operating together, then, you know, it, it's, it, it really is an unstoppable force, I think. Mm. Well, in, uh, in closing, if there's anything that you want to share um, outside of what we've spoken on or elaborating on anything, I want to have space for you to do that. Um, well, thank you so much for this um, you know, opportunity to share in this way and this you know, uh, lovely dialogue that we've had. Um, I, you know, I, think, I think maybe what comes up to share just as, as a way of closing is just how much fun it is to engage in this approach as well. It's, it's both meaningful and sober in a sense in terms of engaging with these events of the world, but it's also um, magical and nourishing uh, to um, engage in this way. I just want to emphasize that. One, one um, thing at my leading edge that I'm very excited about um, is a, um, a practice that is a, an intentional modern dance ritual where we're, mm. we're um, um, doing these simple ritualistic uh, dances together set to amazing modern dance music, uh, but with a group shared intention of um, you know, using the energy of ecstasy that we raise for the healing and awakening of our, of our earth. Um, and so um, just to give a snapshot that it's not just um, being with the pain of the world and it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of joy and, um, and even ecstasy and magic in this practice that mm -hmm. I love. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to share that side. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, opportunities, if anyone listening would like to um, learn more about my work, Probably the best way is uh, I do have available a digital course, an Introduction to Subtle Activism, which you can do in your own time frame online. Um, and it involves, it's three different um, uh, fairly short teachings to give you the, the overview of subtle activism, the principles. I go into more detail to my Gaia Field Synergy approach. Um, and then there are three um, high-quality recorded meditations, subtle activism practices that you can do. Uh, there's also a chapter of my book in that course. Um, and so you can um, just go to our website, GaiaField.net, to find that uh, Introduction to Subtle Activism digital course. And if you use the um, discount code, anyone listening to this uh, recording can use uh, the discount code GN75, and you'll get 75% off. Um, so I think that makes it about 25 bucks or less. Um, Wonderful. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for 
for joining with me today for the conversation. Uh, I'm feeling activated and really excited and inspired to learn more. Um, I really hope that those listening will check out GaiaField.net. The discount code again is GN75. You can find David's course there. Uh, And David, thank you again so much. I look forward to all that is to come. Thanks so much, Catherine. It was really delightful to talk with you today.